As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel. Joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman for our second episode of the week. It is Red River Rivalry Week, so we want to have on Max Olson from The Athletic, who is very well-versed well in that part of the country. Um, and then we're going to get to some great mailbag questions from you guys, so um, enjoy the show. All right, we're pleased to be joined now by our colleague Max Olson. Max covers the transfer portal. He covers stop rate. He covers all kinds of stuff, but he's particularly well-versed in the Big 12. It's the week of Red River, the last Red River in the Big 12. And that's my first question. How ticked off are people around the Big 12 that, at least as of now, it looks like this may be a year where those two meet in the title game? Well, they will sell. I mean, they'll sell out the Big 12 title game if it's those two and make a lot of money off it. So there's that upside, at least. That that yeah. would be not be a bad thing. Does Brett Yormark want to hand the trophy to one of those two head coaches? Like, probably wouldn't be the top of his list of preferences, but, uh, you know, that would be that would be an incredible send-off for those two if if they if they go all the way and do this again. If okay, I were a fan or anybody, I would just buy tickets to it just to boo them. <laughs> <laughs> Just to move the heck out. Like you, you do the thing where it's like there's just an allotment for each school, and then the rest yeah. is like allotted to Big Twelve fans. Correct. Uh, all right, good idea. Thank you, Stu. Okay, Max. Um, this week I wrote about Texas and Sark and the evolution of this program, especially in the trenches. Um, I am buying Texas as man. Who's the guy you do the podcast with? Uh, the recruiting guy. A lot of bluster. Oh, um, Ari Wasserman. Yeah, Ari Wasserman. I think Ari Wasserman might have been the first person to plant the flag about Texas as a playoff team from the athletic. You have um, to buy the Texas bandwagon tickets from him now. He just really cornered the market on that. Yeah. Kudos to him. Uh, kudos to him. So, Max, um, are we going to be now contrarians to this, to this um, podcast? entity or are we in a, are we saying yeah Ari saw it before we did and now we're believers I mean why why question Ari's genius no I think I, I think he was right about Texas I mean I I've covered that program a long time so I kind of have a healthy dose of skepticism when it comes to 
okay, they are extremely talented on paper. Can can we see the week to week consistency? Can they, you know, blow out the teams they're supposed to blow out and and care about every game as much as they care about the game in Tuscaloosa? And you know, two games into Big Twelve play, I think they've done that. I mean, I think the Kansas and Baylor games. I know Baylor's down right now, but uh, and and Kansas is missing Jalen Daniels, but very encouraging just in terms of when they when they turn it on and when they're really clicking um they can they can can run you over and uh i i think that uh you know if if texas loses to oklahoma in a thriller i wouldn't say that means texas is fraudulent i don't, I don't think that means they can't win the big 12 or anything like that but uh man everything we've seen so far um you've got to be pretty encouraged of like i think i and, and even talking to people on the oklahoma side i think there there's an appreciation of like yeah this texas team is is real this is not this is not just like smoke and mirrors and, and a bunch of blue chips. Like these, this team is developed finally. What impresses me, two things really impressed me. One, I mean, we all know that the biggest problem for them for years was offensive line. And mm-hmm. now I feel like they've got a legit bunch of studs in the offensive line. But also, Bijan Robinson carried that team for two years. Like, where would they have been without him? And that was part of my skepticism coming into this year. But I don't want to say they don't miss him because he's a great player, but Jonathan Brooks has stepped up. Um, and Brooks is uh, third in the nation in rushing right now uh, after 200-yard game, his best against Kansas. Yeah, it's a good group of running backs. I mean, you, you can't assume that they can uh, collectively achieve what, what Bijan and Roshan Johnson did a year ago, but it's definitely been more than good enough in terms of the Texas Texas offensive balance. And uh, and then, you know, that wideout group is is pretty special. Max, you are uh, very plugged in in Lubbock and some other places around the Big 12, many other places. But it's been an interesting year beyond the two Blue Bloods who are going to be exiting, right? Um, You know, Baylor, as you said, is really struggling. They got a nice, a really nice comeback win against UCF. Uh, TCU sputtering out of the the gate. Uh, Neil Brown, West Virginia, really pleasant surprise um, sitting there at four and one. Um, what is the biggest surprise to you so far, taking out whether it's Texas or Oklahoma, just from the rest of the Big 12? Um, I mean, I think we all didn't really know what to do with TCU going into the year. Um, I'm sure that's that that was tough for you, Stu, in terms of putting putting together way too early rankings on this stuff, because it's just I'm not saying you you did wrong. I just they're just, you know, they're probably more like a seven or eight win team this year. But how do you not kind of give them the benefit of the doubt after playing for a national championship? Um, I, West Virginia is is definitely surprised, and you know, look, I I didn't vote in the Big Twelve preseason poll, so I'm not responsible for them being picked 14th out of 14. But um, clearly, that's a that's a very like very tough physical team that isn't even really playing its best football yet, but is playing great defense. And I think Neil Brown is kind of finally putting it all together that they'd never had a three game win streak in his entire tenure, and now they've won four in a row. Um, so it's like it's nice to see them get a little bit of, you know, just go out and win some tough games against Texas Tech and TCU. And I think that you look at their schedule, it's setting up really well for them. So I think that's a big surprise. Um, I think it's still pretty wait and see on the new members and kind of who can be the most competitive. I think UCF, um, you know, probably, I mean, certainly should have finished the job against Baylor and and, and is one that's going to be challenging for some, possibly BYU too. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a funky league this year where you feel like there's a lot of bull teams, but how many teams can really, end up pushing Texas and Oklahoma for a Big 12 title. Uh, Max, I know you spent a bunch of time in Ames, and you and I both think very highly of Matt Campbell. 
the program has has backslid at least after the finishing ninth, and now they go from seven wins. Last year was very down. What do you think is going to happen here? Is it will they get it back going? The offense has really struggled. Um, do you what are the what are the things you look at and go? Okay, I can see them building for this because they're still um, now quarterback is very young. Um, watched them against Oklahoma. We'll get to Oklahoma in a second or more on them. But um, what's your what's your takeaway from where you thought this program would be right now? Yeah, I think that they knew going in it was going to be a pretty young team this year. They absolutely love their freshman class that they brought in. And you you see a lot of the, a lot of those guys on the field right away, having to play right away. And so I think they feel like they're going to be good. They just don't really know when that's going to be, when that's really going to kind of kick in. I thought the Oklahoma State game was encouraging in, in terms of showing like, you know, that 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 offensively they can put it together um, and and put up some points. You know, last couple of years, I just asked so much of that defense and that defense has been incredible. Um, but, you know, certainly that Oklahoma game, you, you just can't expect them to, to shut out Oklahoma, you know. So it's still very much a work in progress with that team. I think they'll get better as the year goes on. Certainly, they lost some pretty important pieces in, in August with the gambling uh, situation. And, and you got to factor that. I think that they'll, I think they'll have a chance to get to six wins, but certainly, yeah, it hasn't been pretty to watch at times. So this is funny. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, Max, is because it's Red River Week, and I felt like we've talked about Texas a lot on this podcast, mm-hmm. and we don't really talk about Oklahoma hardly at all. And they're really good, or at least it seems like it. So I wanted to talk about Oklahoma with you, but Bruce skipped right past the Sooners straight to texas tech and iowa state completely disrespecting oklahoma just brett venables is gonna have he's gonna he's gonna call you out if they win after the game like ryan day but bruce thinks uh, texas is gonna win by 100 i think i think that's a little too many points bruce but you know i see what's going on here too i see what's gonna happen here yeah i watched a lot of the oklahoma iowa state game uh the condensed version i like to watch oh yeah i don't Live on Saturday. We're, we're living in the best era of being able to watch the 20 minute cut of a game, aren't we? Oh, it's amazing. Um, saw a lot of Dylan Gabriel just like hitting deep ball after deep ball after deep ball. He looked good. Um, in the first half, though, Iowa State actually hit on three long passes, which surprised mm-hmm. me. They shut them out after halftime. Um, the various power ratings out there are very high in Oklahoma. I just feel like they haven't played anybody on their level. So um, what's your early read on them and, and chance you give them to pull the upset this week? Yeah, I went and visited them in the spring to write about kind of how they've rebuilt that roster. And they've like totally rebuilt that roster in, in a way that people might not have noticed going into year two. They're only down to like 20 Lincoln Riley scholarship players left. Like he is, Brett Venables has, has very quickly brought in um, what he considers his kind of guys for for this program to get it rolling. And I think they've hit on a lot. I think they've done a pretty good job of building this thing back up after a six and seven year. And there's, you know, certainly like you look at the schedule and I was looking at SP plus this morning, the, the best team that Oklahoma has played so far, Cincinnati and they're, they're 48th in SP plus like it's, they haven't ran. And that game was a pretty low scoring game. Um, We haven't really seen them. It's nice when they, they have to play a game like a K state kind of early and you kind of find out, okay, are they, are they real or not? Um, and so there's there's a little of that. I feel like Oklahoma probably should be higher in the polls, but I think people are just hesitant with them just based on last season and that that week schedule so far. I think the I think they've got a chance to win this game for sure. And I think Dylan Gabriel, 
he he maybe doesn't get the respect he deserves, but um, when that thing when when he's playing efficiently and he's connecting, um, that offense can can put up a ton of points, and they have this year. And I think the question for me is going to be the run game. They haven't really totally figured that out at running back with with Tommy Walker and Marcus Major. Kind of can that can they get enough balance in this Texas matchup? Um, and then I, you know the the question last year was the secondary, and that and that's going to be the the big the big test this week um, because. And that's what I love about these Red River games the last few years um, with with I mean, and, and even dating back to, to Lincoln Riley being in this rivalry, um, you know, for for Sark, for for Brent Venables, for Jeff Levy, for um, PK, for everybody involved in this. Like it's it's going to be an amazing chess matchup. And I'm, I'm sure that Texas is going to be trying to test this Oklahoma secondary, um, not just downfield, but, you know, will they tackle in the screen game and things like that? that that's the thing that you kind of always feel like they're a little bit weak on in these games. So. I think Oklahoma's got a chance, and I think they're much, much improved. And probably, to be honest, I think they're probably a little bit underrated right now. There definitely are. And in fact, you know, just the way this the schedule shaped up, we saw Texas play a huge game, get a huge win against Alabama. Yeah. So they feel more legit. We just spent the beginning of this interview talking to them about a playoff team. We just haven't Oklahoma hasn't gotten their shot yet. So if they win. Everybody will consider it a huge upset, but will, will they gonna... go like top five if they win? You think like will they will it just be a big old boost? I, I would think they would make a pretty big jump. Oregon and Washington are both off this week. Hmm. Uh, SC has dropped two weeks in a row, so I could see them jumping up to like seventh, sixth. Like or you got to put them and Texas together basically in the poll if you yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is if they win and Dylan Gabriel has a big game. Uh, I noticed in our Heisman poll this week, our Heisman drop poll, Dylan Gabriel, I think, had one point. Uh, I would imagine he would jump uh, <laughs> a lot higher. Now, you mentioned, obviously, you went to Oklahoma in the spring. You also went to Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. And I, your interview with Mike Gundy, he's always very candid. And you you asked him about uh, all the turmoil there, end of last season, into the offseason. Spencer Sanders transferred. Derek Mason left. And he was like, Everything's fine, right? Like everything's fine. What are you talking about? Yeah, everything does not seem fine. What what is? I mean, they're pretty bad at least so far. What's what's going on with that program? Yeah, uh, you know, on the topic of are there like culture issues there? Um, his, his answer for that is that that that's a hundred percent bullshit. Um, and yeah, he 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 was pretty. He was in a good mood. He wasn't in an angsty mood when I sat down with him. But uh, yeah, he felt very strongly that. Um, they have this thing pointing in the right direction. He wasn't going to make big staff changes because this is still the staff that, you know, got them to a big 12 title game and a Fiesta bowl win and all that in 2021. And I think, I think there's part of it is that he just kind of believes they're doing things the right way and believes in his OC Casey done and kind of felt like even though they lost a lot of pieces, um, in the portal, they also added a lot and that they, they would be, you know, they, they would be, they'd be fine from that front. I think offensively, obviously, it's been messy trying to do the three quarterback thing in non-conference play. It seems like they've settled on Alan Bowman, the Michigan transfer, as the guy going forward here. Um, how much confidence they have in him, I, I don't know. That he got to play the whole Iowa State game, and now they come out of a bye. We'll kind of see how they handle that. I think definitely questions about the depth and just kind of are they deep enough to really compete in the conference this year. They've got a brand new OC in Brian Nardo that they brought in um, from, from the, the lower level, from the D2 level. And so, um, there's still an adjustment there. Um, certainly they haven't gotten back to playing defense like they did under Jim Knowles in 21. Um, and so 
just he 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 brings like kind of a copycat of the Iowa State scheme. And so do, do they have the personnel for that or not? Like we'll see if they can improve over Big 12 play. They're just they're just not great early on, and they've just got to get they've got to get a lot better. And I mean, the they least. lost thirty three and thirty three to seven to South Alabama. They did, and I believe South Alabama is two and three. Like they're not. It's not like you know you lost to the best group of five team in the country. Right, right. Uh, thirty three to seven. They got K State Friday night uh, at home. K State obviously they were my preseason pick to win the Big Twelve. They lost to yep. Mizzou. Mine I think too. Missouri starting out to be pretty good. So if they can beat Kansas State, I think that, you know, the uh, angst will soften a little bit if they don't. And at that point, their record is two and three and they play Kansas, who we, who's capable of beating them. West Virginia, who you just mentioned, like uh, it could get pretty ugly. Could get and- pretty ugly. Now, the ending of that, I mean, there's there's really only way that it would end with Mike Gunny, and that would kind of be him getting getting pissed and quitting. I mean, they they can't they can't afford to fire him, you know, with the with the where his buyouts at. It's it's way over 20 million. Um, so I, I when I sat down with him, I, that was kind of the thing I was most interested in is is I think I got the sense he likes the challenge of how much the sport is changing. But um, and that keeps him intrigued and makes him not want to quit. And he's kind of one of these guys that doesn't have other hobbies or any like really retirement does not sound appealing to him at all. Um, but, you know, certainly like I- I'm just very interested to see how he responds to the- these challenges here in the weeks ahead, because they, they are just going to have to coach the hell out of this team. Cause I just don't think it's as talented of an, an Oklahoma state, Oklahoma state team is, you know, we saw a couple years ago when they were, you know, one of the best in the country. That's the crazy thing. They're two years removed from 12 and two, um, like a half inch from going to the playoff. Beating, Notre they Dame. were like top ten, like middle of last season, still too before yeah. before a really bad slide. So it's been a rough, it's been a pretty rough run from the second half of last year till till today. And uh, yeah, they've, they've, they've got, uh, hopefully they've they've found some miracles in that bye week because they it's going to be a I mean this 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 conference you're just going to end up in a ton of close games and there's not a lot we've seen from from them so far to suggest like they've got a big advantage in these close games. It's funny that you said not funny, but you know. You said they can't afford to buy him out if a certain person was still alive. Uh, and by the way, I don't know that he was the world's biggest Mike Gundy fan. And they went four and eight. That twenty four million dollars, he would just go get some pennies out of his couch cushion. But maybe so, maybe so. Twenty five still a lot. So you think that would still be that would, that would be the record, wouldn't it? You know what? I've lost all perspective on buyouts. Like <laughs> the numbers have gotten so silly, and it's actually the USA Today um, coaches salary database came out yesterday yeah yeah has the coaches buyouts on it and it's like saving here we go saving 44.8 million Dabo 64 million kirby smart 92 million 92. ryan day 46 so it's just like i'm numb to these numbers now to the point where when you said it i was like oh that's not too bad <laughs> but no only 20 and i was only in the 20s that's not too bad but yeah it is actually um who's the record was on i think so yeah yeah. Um, now he got another job, so maybe there's, I, I don't know. Yeah. His buyout was like 21, 21 and a half. Yeah. 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 Oh, you know what? Let me check real quick. I think Willie Tigers might've been more than that. Nope. 17. Yeah. So it's like, in you my know, mind, 17, already, 17 is a nice number. You know, it's just 25. Yeah. You just can't, you know, you in can't my mind, I've already skipped ahead to, and it'll probably be as soon as this year where we just become numb to like, oh, 25 million to buy a coat. Cause you know, we're, there's Jimbo talk right now. 
they beat Alabama this week. That that goes away entirely for this year, I think. But yeah, all coming to the season, 60, 70, whatever that is. Like, do you think we're are we sleeping on that one? Are we sleeping on AM possibly getting over on Alabama again? I think so. I mean, they're only two and a half point underdog. Um, yeah. you know, so I don't I don't think at this point it would be considered a major upset, mm-hmm. but it would certainly have a lot of significance for Jimbo considering where he was coming out of that Miami game. So and that would be a team that would that's another one that man, you're injecting some playoff hype into them if they win that game. All right, Bruce. I don't know why you got so quiet there at the end, but um Max, we always appreciate you coming on. Um, great, great to see you, Stu. Great to see the ghost of Bruce. Yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, make sure and and we should mention obviously Max is one of the fixtures on until Saturday. Our great college football podcast with that guy they were that they were talking about earlier, Ari, and, and a cast of other stars. So be sure to download until Saturday wherever you're listening to this podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's time for the mailbag, Bruce, and the mailbag is brought to you by Graduate Hotels, your game day go-to. They have great locations, great bars. Feel the excitement of your college town on game day. If you're heading out for a big game, book a stay at Graduate Hotels this season and get up to 20% off, plus 50 bucks to spend on food and drinks. Just use code GRADFB, that's G-R-A-D-F-B, at graduatehotels.com. It's a great, great place to go if you're in town for a game weekend. They do it up. They've got live music, pregame refreshments, lamp shaped like school mascots, and most importantly, the hotel is usually walking distance to the stadium. So start planning your football weekend now and get up to 20% off your stay plus $50 for food and drinks with promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B. All right, Stu, let's kick off the mailbag in... From Kevin in Westland, Oregon. Guys, this one is simple. Would an Oregon win on the road over the Huskies in Seattle supplant Texas's win over Alabama in Tuscaloosa as the single best win of the year? Stu, what do you think? That's a great question. I mean, they're going to be in both in the top eight, at least. Um, I guess it kind of depends on your view of Alabama. I mean, we were certainly both very down on them. Um coming off not just the Texas game, but the USF game, I've started to come around. Um, but are they a better team? By the end of the season, who would you assume will be considered the better team, Alabama or the loser of Oregon-Washington? I would be leaning at this point, at this version of Alabama, I'm sorry, of Oregon and Washington, 
Um, the only thing that would change my opinion of that before the playoff would be as if is if Alabama runs the table and beats Georgia in the SEC title game. Short of that, um, I, I you know, look. I don't think it comes down to the one win. I mean, it's a good question by Kevin, but ultimately, to me, what's going to carry more body of water here is Oregon's schedule at Washington. Then they play Washington State right after that. That's a good team. They got to go to Utah. That's still, you know, it's still a respected team. Then they have USC coming in. And at the end of the year, they get an Oregon State team. That is a much tougher road than what Alabama has in a very down SEC West right now. So I think as of the as of when the game will be played, that's the difference between the Pac-12 and the SEC this year is whoever wins the Pac-12 is going to have more top 25 wins. And part of the reason I now think Alabama might be more 10 and 2, 11 and 1 than 9 and 3 is just because the rest of the SEC stinks. Do you know LSU has Max Olson, who is our guest today, did his stop rate uh, column? LSU is the worst defense of any Power 5 team in America. LSU. That's crazy. You have you have you have Harold Perkins, you have Mason Smith, you have a bunch of other big recruits on that team. There's no reason why they should be that far down. Yeah. So, you know, now does that mean Alabama can't get better over the course of the season and have a top 10, maybe even higher type team by the end of the year? Possibly. There's not going to many chances to prove it. I think the teams in the Pac-12 will. So I'm going to side with our friend Kevin in Oregon and say that that becomes the best win of the year. Let me, uh, let me, go off of this for a second. So to me, one of the most compelling games of this weekend is Alabama's trip to College Station to face Texas A&M. What do you think is going to happen there? Like, I know we haven't had our picks yet because as we're taping this, it's Wednesday morning. They run Thursday morning. I have no idea what you think. Uh, who do you have more confidence in right now? Alabama, which looked much better last week than it did early in the season, or Texas A&M? I have more confidence in Alabama, but they, I think A&M could definitely win the game. Um, if you think back to the – A&M's played very well since that Miami loss. And if you think back to the Miami game, that was almost entirely Tyler Van Dyke and his receivers shredding A&M's defense. Well, Alabama, as we know, is not a passing team this year. They're going to – to win that game, they're going to run the ball and play defense. And I feel like that kind of – that style better suits A&M than certainly – a team like Miami. What do you think? That's a compelling argument. Um, Alabama's a two and a half point favorite as we tape this. I don't know. Ultimately, I, I default to Nick Saban and Alabama in situations like this. I just have more confidence in him than I do in whoever's across the sideline from him. I do think this is much closer than when they won a couple of years ago. They being obviously Jimbo's team. But... It wouldn't surprise me if Texas A&M won that game, even similar, you know, similar. It, it come, I, ultimately, I think it's quarterback play. You know, how, how much sharper can Jalen Milrow be? And does Max Johnson stay hot? Because Max Johnson looked quite good, I thought, uh, against Arkansas and Auburn. And, you know, to me, he's been he's been very impressive. And if he can keep it up, I think this is going to be, you know, I think they have a good chance to to pull a mild upset. Obviously, yeah, that's the key word. Like the, the, the one two years ago in College Station was a huge upset. Uh, Vegas thinks this would be a mild upset if AM wins. So 
Um, let me ask you this one from Jonathan Silverman, not the comedian, um, a different Jonathan Silverman. Hi, Stu and Bruce. I wonder how coaching has changed now that the players can leave when they are unhappy with the situation. Are coaches making decisions about playing time based more on ability and or potential than they might have if they could wait to playing a promising player a year or two? And also, are the coaches being nicer to their players? Stu, when I first saw this this email, I thought it dawned on me that one of the more you know significant quarterback coaching decisions probably in the last decade occurred in Columbus, and it occurred when Urban Meyer's staff decided to go with Dwayne Haskins as opposed to Joe Burrow. And I remember the year after we had talked, we did an Ohio State game, and I remember like kind of Ryan Day walking us through what what was behind some of that rationale and they had thought um you know one guy was older they i don't think they thought Dwayne haskins was going to leave as fast as he did i mean he had a huge year obviously joe burrow is a legend at lsu for what he became but it was they were they were i guess doing some of the calculus behind what they thought might happen and i say all that to get to this is i think it's really hard for coaches to project oh, this guy's going to do this. Like I, I I, was at a game this year and I ran into a position coach I know and he's got a one particular player he thinks has a ton of potential. And he was like, yeah, but I'm pretty sure he's leaving this year and he probably will leave sooner than maybe in his physical best interest. But I think coaches are always doing some version of that kind of calculus. And I, I imagine it's probably a, a different now with how they manage guys because I think what's, What's added to it is them knowing, hey, I don't know how this player is going to respond if we're being more patient and cautious with them, then, you know, maybe that player is comfortable because they know somebody else will probably scoop them up and probably tell them what they want to hear or give them what they want, give them what they think they want. So I'm not on the practice field. I don't know if they're being nicer or not, but from a roster management standpoint, I think unless you're one of these really entrenched guys like Saban, Kirby Smart, Dabo Sweeney, most coaches at this point, I don't know that you can afford to to try to do the three, four, five-year out projections. I think you got to almost assume year to year, um, like either in either direction, either we're going to lose guys or we're going to go out and get guys. You know, these guys are coaching for their jobs. They need to win this year. I don't think you know, you can afford to, this guy could really help us now, but we want to save his red shirt so he can play another four years for us. Like if, if he can help you win now, you got to play him. And if the guy that's, a, um, that maybe goes to the bench because of that transfers, uh, so be it. You'll go in the portal and get his replacement. Yeah. And I think it's an even harder situation if you're a group of five coach and you know you have good young players and like, yeah, we're developing them. Some, you know, this this power five team we play in the non-conference made notes of who was really good from our roster. Um, it definitely makes the post-game handshakes um, a little more must-see TV, I guess, for those people. Stu and Bruce, as underwhelming power five programs move into October, fan bases will no doubt point to Coach Prime as their obvious savior for the 24 season, 2024 season and beyond. Assuming Dion's contract and or buyout is no issue, how realistic is this, given that he has gone on record saying Shador and Shiloh, his sons, will both return in 2024? For fun, let's say Florida pulls the cord 
on Jim McElwain 2.0. I, I can't believe we're that down on Napier, huh? And goes all in on Dion. Was it, would his sons even be eligible to transfer with him? Um, depends on if they have their degree or not. If they don't, no, they, they can't transfer a second time and play uh, under this new current NCAA setup. I wanted to take this in a slightly different direction, though, Bruce. The, the mention of Shador here. Peter King. So he went to Colorado. He went to the USC game. And says that this was the first time in his 27 years writing that column that he leads with a college football game. I bring this up because his big takeaway was he watched Shador, he watched Caleb, and he thinks Shador is the better NFL prospect. That he made more NFL throws in that game. Um, he loved the way he responded to the pressure um, that he was under. And I know that, I guess two questions... Is that a realistic assessment, and does it matter? Do we believe Shador is coming back to college? Um, I've, I'm super impressed with Shador. If you told me he's more impressive than almost every other college quarterback who's getting hyped up, I'd be like, yeah, I could, you know, like, he's very calm in the pocket. Uh, he's very accurate. He makes really good decisions. I love how he's kind of leading. He seems like he's 30 going on. He's like 21 going on 30. But it's Caleb. Caleb does crazy wow stuff. Um, in that column, Peter did point out that the the time that that Caleb has at 1.7 seconds before he's releasing the ball. Now, some of it's him buying time. It is not like uh, that USC offensive line is a uh, Joe Moore caliber winning group. It's not like what JJ McCarthy is playing behind. I think there's a little also of, and again, you know, we both love Peter, but Peter's not covering college football. He doesn't pretend he does. Colorado doesn't have a lot of dudes on the defense and they don't have a lot of dudes on the, on the line. So I think that's a, yes, Caleb's buying time and Caleb won't be able to do that against NFL dudes. But I think that's also Caleb won't won't have as much time when he plays Oregon. He won't have as much time when he plays Washington. He probably won't have as much time when he plays UCLA. So I think some of that is like, wow, this stuff is, you know, he, I think he's looking at it through the lens of this is not translating as, as much to the NFL. Um, I still think Caleb, to me, is the most impressive quarterback prospect of this group uh, of the last couple of years. If you ask me, who do I, you know, like, there's a lot to like there. I think, you know, to me, Shador, I could, if you told me he's a top 15 pick, I'd be like, yeah, I totally see it. Um, and there's, there's a lot to like. I just, Caleb to me is like, he's as impressive as there's been in the last two years. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, his assessment was obviously based on this one game, um, not, you know, watching two years of tape of these guys. I think that this coming cycle is going to bring a dimension. And look, there's certainly other, you know, it's, and these aren't the only two um, highly regarded quarterbacks for the NFL, right? Drake May, obviously, in the conversation as well. Um, these are two guys who in any other era before right now would be no-brainer. They're gone to the NFL. But they are both in situations where if they did come back, would make, I think similar money to what they would make as a rookie in the NFL from NIL. But but there's one big distinction here, Stu. In terms of starting their clock for their next deal, that 
that would that would be a, that is a significant issue. It's short term thinking uh, if you if you look at it that way. You know, you're you're putting off many 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 more millions of dollars in guaranteed money. But obviously, I mean, Shador is not hurting for money. Uh, you know, his dad. We all know we all know that situation. And I don't know. I don't know Caleb's financial situation, but the the wrinkle there is. I assume he'll go, and I assume he'll be the number one pick. But his dad has gone out there and said, "Hey, if it's not the right team, if it's not the right situation, then don't rule out the possibility he would come back." Can I add advances too? Because I know you asked me about the CU Shador Shiloh aspect of it in the first part of the question, and what I think is different here is. I think, and it's not to say Caleb is not invested in USC or whatever, but this is his dad's program, if you're Shador. And I think we know, like, and I'm not saying USC is not going to get better in 2020 if Caleb stayed around him. I imagine they'll keep upgrading the roster, but it's not going to be upgraded to the degree that I think Colorado is going to be. And I think if you're Shador sitting there going, man, I'm doing this with you know, a very, you know, uh, an offensive line that's still incubating and a lot of other parts of this that are, you know, are most of our receivers are really young guys. I've had one year to work with these guys, not even one year. Um, Look what we're going to do next year. This thing is really going to blow up. I think that is a big reason for, for Shador and Shiloh, you know, you know, Shiloh's different as a defensive back, but I think it's a big reason for those guys. Travis Hunter can't leave. You know, he's not going to, you know, he's a second year sophomore. He's not close to his degree. He can't go to the NFL, you know. So I think it's a, you know, I think it's a big reason for them to stay for 2024 to really kick it up. Whereas, you know, Caleb's situation is like, hey, if you can win the national title now, great. If not, um, you know, because then also you do invite injury risk. I mean, this was a guy who did get hurt late last year, obviously hamstring issue, but like, you know, he plays a style where he's extending plays and buying time. The last thing you need is one thing where somebody rolls up on your knee. You know, we've seen this before. And I'm not saying it can't happen to any other quarterback, but you can get insurance policies. But just I don't think it's about insurance policies to him. Like you said, he, you know, he's going to make seemingly plenty of money this year. I think if he wants to be a great NFL quarterback, um, you know, he'll, build, he'll have been with Lincoln Riley for three seasons after this, including this year. So, um, again, that's, that's their personal decisions, but that's just my read on it. And it occurs we never actually, we never actually answered the gist of Matt's question, but I think we both agree Dion's not going anywhere after this year, you know, bets are off after next year, but I think too much excitement, too much momentum there. He's going to want to. And too many kids can't leave that I think he's truly invested in. Travis Hunter, hey, by the way, one other thing on Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter was amazing at, against TCU, and obviously it was in the subsequent games. But Travis Hunter, good on him. He has used his social media to show a very endearing side of him, not just with you know, the Colorado State DB who was involved in the play where he got hurt, but then some other things. You watch him as a nurturing leader on his, with his younger teammates in games. Like I saw something he had posted and it was well done. You know, like we need more of that kind of stuff. I agree. Uh, all right, Stu, question is from Kerry in Brooklyn. Stu and Bruce, I was watching Dan Mullen in the studio and was surprised how much positive energy he brought to his new gig. And it got me wondering, who are your goats making the transition from the sideline to the studio? 
For example, is Bruce's Fox colleague Urban Meyer up there? What about CBS's Rick Neuheisel? Stu, what are your thoughts? Uh, first of all, he's right about Dan Mullen. I think he's doing very well in his new gig. Um, I'll, I like Urban's X's and O's, you know, chalk talk type stuff. I don't necessarily think he's like this big ball of energy on there. Rick Neuheisel, it's funny, I don't even really think of him as a coach at this point. He's been doing uh, radio and TV for so long. He is excellent. Um, one I would uh, throw out there um, in terms of uh, guys making that transition, honestly, and I'm not saying this to butter you up or butter your show up, but I think Chris Peterson has been fantastic. And I wasn't, and I was skeptical because when he was a coach, he was not the most gregarious guy, to say the least. Um, but his commentary is very smart. He's funny. Um, it's like we're seeing a whole new side of him. So um, those are the ones that come to mind, top of mind for me. Can you answer this question honestly? Uh, I, I can answer it honestly. I cannot answer it without bias. So I love working with Chris Peterson. You know, I got a chance to be in studio with him last week. I had that uh, a season previously. And there's nobody better to watch college football with. Like we sit, you've been in that green room. You have 12 TVs and he's in, invested in seemingly all of them and you bounce stuff off him and he will not always have the answer, but will explain why nobody who's not, nobody who may not be in that coach's room probably knows why exactly the rules are on this particular play for this. You know, it's like he reverse engineers a bunch of stuff. Like he's really humble. Um, I can't say enough good things about the one thing on Curious Point, one guy who I thought was really, really good on TV, who I worked with and was it was actually, I thought, great on TV. It's just hardly anybody saw it because we, we were working, which was at CBS Sports Network. Rich Rodriguez is really funny. He was really self-deprecating. He knows the game at a high, especially the run game at a crazy high level. Um, like he ended up going back like he could have been a, a big star in it in cot like because he's funny and you know like richard could probably do stand up you know like i've seen him speak at a booster you know event when he was at arizona and he is he's got his stuff he's got his material um he's got a personality so i think you know, he's the one that I was like, wow, there's other guys where you're like, oh, I thought this guy would have been better or, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like I, I've worked with a couple of coaches. I won't say who they are and I'm not re referencing urban in this case, but it was, you know, somebody who has personality, but they did almost no work. You know, they just did almost no work and they were just getting by on personality. And that happens from time to time. You know, you worked with Wanstead like I did where he had personality and he would occasionally call his guys and have some in, intel on what was going on. Um, but, you know, a handful of coaches you get, they're like guys who are like, I think they don't want to be involved. They just want to kind of get by on their personality. And for the most part, they can um, enough. They're just not that good, you know, but we've all seen um, certain coaches who are better than others in it. And they just kind of, they're just, they just shine through. So in the interest of fairness, I was like, we're talking about a lot of Fox guys. Maybe I should throw somebody in from ESPN. And I pulled up their, just their list of announcers for this week. And you know what's crazy is they have barely any former coaches. It's all former players. Um, 
in the studio and in uh, like that makes Dan Mullen kind of an exception. Like I'm looking at all the. Well, they have uh, Derek Mason. But he's buried pretty far down the depth chart. Like they, they send out an email every week with all the announcers for the games and I'm scrolling through it and it's all former players, which is interesting because back before our time, all the, you know, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, I'm thinking. Yeah, Frank Broyles. Frank Broyles. Like, I just feel like, I don't know. I don't know why more don't do it now other than it's such a grind. Their profession is such a grind that I would imagine maybe you just, when, you, when you're done coaching, you just want to be done, done uh, with this kind of stuff. Real quick, um, Will asked a question that I should, I really appreciate and I should probably try to address this every six months or so. Quick and to the point, I love the intro and outro song to the pod. Can you tell me the song title and artist? I can't find it anywhere. Yes. The song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Get it anywhere you get music. I'm a little biased. Kevin and the Octaves is my brother's band, Jamie. Uh, He was nice enough to record it specifically for, this song was made as a theme song for the Audible back in 2017. Wait, I didn't know this last part. First of all, I didn't know the title. Did he look at you and I like, love you, Stu, but you're the last word I would ever associate with you is dangerous. I actually have no idea why it's called dangerous. <laughs> the words are kind of secondary. It was specifically we were, because this is when we were taking the podcast. There was a period there where I was independent of any of our employers and we needed a new theme song. And I said, is it entirely possible there was a driver's ed class where you actually almost backed over Kevin or something? I, if you listen to the lyrics, it's unclear why it's called Dangerous, but it is called Dangerous. And I'm thinking he's been in the car with you. Anybody who's been in the car with Stu when Stu's behind the wheel, Dangerous is about you. Agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I said, can you just make a song that sounds like Weezer? And, and he did. I think if you listen to, if you're a Weezer fan, listen to the intro to the podcast and then turn on the first song of the green album whose title is escaping me and you're going to hear a lot of similarities it's very expensive to license songs for major bands it's much easier to have your brother record one all right uh looking forward to another great set of games this weekend send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com and we'll see you next time <laughs>